Hi, it's Tracy Crossley. Welcome to my special series, Surviving to Thriving, Overcoming My Darkest Moment, where I will interview guests on how they felt their way through a major emotional low point to create a fulfilling, abundant, and successful life. Hey there, it's Tracy Crossley, and I'm back once again with Surviving to Thriving, Your Darkest Moment. And of course, every time I bring on a new guest, we have a new story. And what I love about these stories is that they usually impact their personal and professional life. Like you have your darkest moment, and it was the same thing for me, having my darkest moment, and it impacts everything, and it really makes you change probably the course of what you're doing. Um, but, but the most important thing is, is that you guys listening out there get the emotional impact because if you're struggling, then you know, hey, someone else has been able to work their way through it and actually be successful or even incorporate what it was that was their darkest moment. So today I have with me a new guest and her name is Sarah Poet. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Awesome. So let me go ahead and tell you guys a little bit about her. Um, Sarah Poet is a birth mother, mother, writer, and soul doula. She's a life coach living in Asheville, North Carolina, and she investigates the depth of the human experience and supports others along their path. She specializes in bringing an authentic, mindful approach to true life transformation for couples, individuals, and teens. She weaves in a healthy rebalancing of masculine and feminine archetypes into her work as we heal planetary imbalances. She is writing the Birth Mother Memoir, and you can find out more about her at yourembodiedbreath.com, which, of course, we're going to have all of this in the information below the video. All right, so let me get back to my screen here, and welcome, Sarah, again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, of course, I don't want to dive right into what was your darkest moment, but I want to know a little bit of background about things that led up to it, you know, childhood or certain events, relationships. So what was it and start anywhere? Starting from the beginning, huh? Uh, yeah, my darkest moment I would say happened pretty early on in my adulthood and I'll talk about that. But so leading up to that was adolescence and childhood. And I, I grew up in a home where um, I was the first of three daughters my father was a pretty strict Methodist man. He knew how he wanted things to run. And um, I was kind of a rebel heart from the beginning. Poor guy. I mean, I really put him through the ringer. But, um, you know, I was sort of called to ask these bigger questions, but these were like the days before the internet. Like, I didn't have anywhere to get those answers, you know, so I was just asking the questions. And I would put them out there and the answer was kind of like, you don't need to know. Don't worry about it. You know, just follow this religious path or just sort of do what I say. Um, and so I had like a very robust center, but um, it wasn't nurtured. And so I actually rejected the church by the time I was 16. Um, how he ever allowed that to happen. I'm not really sure, but, um, you know, I was just sort of on my path. I was definitely free-spirited. I was, uh, these were the 90s, but I was like a hippie, I would call myself. And um, yeah, it was, it was like a tough experience to actually, I never got permission to be me. 
you know, like anywhere. And I was kind of looking for it outside of myself all those years and then even beyond and in my 20s and 30s. Um, but yeah, like there was, there was this contradiction sort of, or like I knew there was something bigger. I knew there was a bigger me on the inside than like was allowed to exist on the outside. Um, and I just didn't know how to find it. So, so when you were, you know, a rebel, um, and mm -hmm. you had said, okay, religion isn't the thing for me. Um, it sounds like you were probably on some kind of a spiritual path or, or thinking there's something spiritually other for me rather than mm -hmm. what's been told to me. Is that right? That's true. Yes. And I would spend some time in bookstores, you know, I would try to engage my father sort of in philosophical discussions. Well, like how is my affiliation with um, Native American culture and my Cherokee background was like very strong for me at the time. You know, I was like looking for that deeper meaning. Um, but like I said, the places to engage with that were just so limiting. And so I did a lot of that looking, but I didn't really attach into another religion. You know, I kind of found Buddhism a little bit later, which is um, not, I would not call myself a Buddhist now, but it really made sense, like my late 20s. Um, really what I started to do, Tracy, was listen to myself. Like the investigation was always internal even though I didn't know to give myself permission to really be that person I was finding. Um, so when I look back, that contradiction really exists. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because with your dad, you know, being hardcore religious. Yeah. So, and you were rebelling in different ways. And mm -hmm. so this brought you to what your darkest moment was. Yeah. So, well, teenagers rebel. And I was rebelling in a relationship with a man who was a little bit older. Um, it was really very loving in nature. We had known one another for years because we volunteered at the same camp for um, children with disabilities, like in the summertime. Um, and so I fell in love my junior, senior year of high school. And he was probably 23 or 24 at the time. And yeah, I got pregnant by the first semester of college. So I went to a college 10 hours away from my hometown. I was pregnant by fall break with this boyfriend of mine. And, you know, by Thanksgiving, I was on the phone telling my mother that I was pregnant in my freshman year of college. And the sound that she made, Tracy, was like, it was so guttural. It was so, um, she was so distraught that I think my father, who was in the house and heard her make this sound, actually thought that I had died. You know, she, it was like life was over kind of, kind of reaction. Mm -hmm. And so I went back home. I transferred home at the end of that semester. I finished the semester pregnant in college. My parents were both very achievement oriented. And so it was like, well, you got yourself into this mess. Go ahead and finish the semester, um, you know, cause that makes sense. And then you'll come home um, and we'll figure out what to do. And so I spent the spring between my 18th and 19th year pregnant with my daughter 
who was placed for adoption that following July. Let me now, let me, I want to ask you something about this. Please. Because, you know, with having a choice, obviously, for the yes. decades, what made you choose to keep the pregnancy? Wonderful. So this, I mean, this is the subject of a book, right? It's a long, it's a long story, but my very first, and I, I like to say this for women who identify with this, my very first thought was absolutely not. No one can know. Like my very first thought was actually abortion. And there was just something very clear to me that this child in particular was supposed to be in this world. Um, and like, this is what we had to do together. And actually it was this time in my life. It was the darkest moment was to give her away, but the experience itself was actually, um, so soulful and we connected so deeply in the pregnancy. Um, you know, why adoption is a very fascinating topic because I think it's just, maybe to some degree, I don't even know the answer to that. I think like, well, it happened because it was supposed to happen. But my parents were thinking that that was the smartest thing to do. Um, you know, I was raised in like a middle-class household. And so um, I did not have a college education. They were worried um, that I would end up with a man that they didn't, you know, think that I would um, be happy with in the long run or kind of be trapped. Um, you know, this story that I remember and the one that got imprinted, which is why this is actually the darkest moment, is you are not old enough yet to raise this child. You're not smart enough yet. You're not wealthy enough yet. You're not married yet. You're not all the yets. Like, like this moment, you can't have it because you haven't accomplished enough yet. And so I would say that that's what I already had started to believe, that I wasn't inherently worthy of the child. And at the same time, the, the wise young woman in me knew that I mean, at the time I moved back from college, I was living in my parents' basement and I knew that this child was bold and beautiful in this world and needed a little bit more than that. Um, and so I actually chose her parents. It's an open adoption. And so I say I placed her for adoption because um, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I needed to like know this soul and watch her grow in the world. And so that was the agreement from the get-go. Um, that it would be an open adoption. And let me ask you something. What about the mm -hmm. father of the baby? Oh, wow. That's, that's another deep question because he very much wanted to be together, to be supportive. Um, at the time, I was, I was very scared. I was very scared to be 18 and pregnant and having moved home from college and there was a part of me that knew that he was very authentically loving. And then there was a part of me that was really scared to be kind of locked in at 18. Um, and then there was a lot of story from my parents. Again, I don't mean to make them the bad guys. Everybody does the best that they can, you know, 
but they were scared too. And so he became this bad person. He became a target. Um, I just published a letter to him because we have healed our relationship. We did not talk for 17 years and we've um, become very good friends again. And so with his permission, I just published a public letter of apology because I think a lot of men do get um, pushed out of pregnancies when they're very willing to show up. And he was, um, but he was not involved with the last five months of the pregnancy pretty much because he was pushed out. I, that's the only reason. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to that time in the darkest moment, what was specifically besides the fact that, hey, I'm going to be giving my daughter up for adoption, which I would imagine me doing that, that would have been very traumatic to me. Mm -hmm. I am, right? Everybody handles mm -hmm. it differently. So for you, because you also have this whole idea of bringing this soul into this world and, you know, and you were you know, the wise part of you, but then you have your parents' stories, all of that stuff. So right. where was the darkest moment in that? Hmm. I think the the very hardest moment in that was actually handing her over. You know, I had um, about 36 hours in the hospital with her before her parents came. Um, I really wanted that time with her. And... Um, then they came to the hospital and I handed her to her new mother who I had already met. I knew. And my mother wanted to take a picture. And Eileen, her mother said, would you like to hold her? And I said, don't hand her back. And I've thought of that moment so many times because I thought how rude that sounded or something like that. But what I, what was going on was I can't possibly make that hand off a second time. I can't possibly do that again, you know? So I think, I think that was, that was the moment, you know, if I had to pick one. Um, but what did it, you know, after you gave her away, I'm imagining you're in the hospital, right? When this is happening, is that where you did Yeah, there was, we were at the hospital and then it was the time that everyone could go home. So from there we packed up and I got in the backseat of my family's car and they were driving me home. And there was this memory. So I had gestational diabetes when I was pregnant you know, at 19 and I was kind of like raised on sugar. And so I couldn't have sugar and like that was a big deal or something, you know, at the, at the time. Um, and so there were all of these gifts of sugar that came to the hospital. My cat is making a noise <laughs> with a toy. Would you like me to go get it for a minute? That's okay. It's fine. I don't care. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So we were leaving the hospital and my dad thought that it would be a good idea to just go get ice cream. And you know, no one needs ice cream after they just give away their baby, but like nobody knows what to do when somebody just gives away their baby. Right. And so he pulls into the Dairy Queen and there's this man of like Eastern Indian descent in the parking lot of the Dairy Queen. And he's searching in his pocket for coins. And there's this plastic bag in his hand, like flapping, like he's, he doesn't have much, right. That's very apparent. And, and I just 
cried and cried and cried. And I was like, forget my ice cream. Just buy that man all the ice cream he wants, you know? And that, that just sticks out to me because I was like, there's so much pain and suffering. I don't need any ice cream, right. you know? Right. <laughs> I'm imagining when you've done something like that, because I was trying to put myself emotionally like into that place. And I would imagine the feelings you've had, you would have had, you know, in giving your baby away at that moment. And then afterwards that I would have felt some kind of emptiness or sadness or loneliness even like, so oh, to the point of uh, like the, the pit of those, you know, like, you give away a piece of yourself. You're, and more than that, like, and again, I'm, I'm like already rationalizing that I'm somehow not worthy of it, right? Like the feeling was I had to do that. The feeling was also she's in good hands or even as a 19 year old, even like I knew what is meant to be is going to be kind of thing. Like there was still that wisdom at play, I think. Um, but yes, there was this sadness that I couldn't necessarily express. You know, it was, it was something that no one around me was going to understand. And the message was really, we're going to go back to college. We're going to get yourself, you know, straightened out so that you can go and one day you can be a mother again. And so there was this like, I mean, I felt it and I'm sure it was at play, this message of make yourself better, you know, like just get through it. And I, you know, I've done a lot of, a lot of work since. And at one point I was taking a memoir class and there was an assignment to interview someone that knew you at the time, like interview people that had seen these specific moments because a lot gets lost in all of that flood of emotion. You know, I, I had a very internal experience and I said to my sister, I said, what was it like for you and the family in the days after her birth? Because I just came home. I had had a very, um, I delivered naturally, but she was a very large child. I had injuries. And so I was like in bed and in this bed in the basement, you know, this like makeshift room. And I said, what do you remember of that time? Because I don't remember interactions with the family. I remember caring for myself. And she said, oh, we would hear you sobbing. We would just, we would hear you and nobody knew what to do you know? And so, yeah, this message of like, figure it out, um, put the emotions away, get up and do what needs to be done. Um, and that's really why I call it the darkest moment, Tracy, because that's when those beliefs locked in, just locked in mm -hmm. and became like my mode of operation. And so you basically were operating from a very intellectual level at that point forward? Yeah. Yeah. Two and a half weeks later, I was back in college. Um, I had taken six credits while I was pregnant. You know, the whole message was like, get, get your college degree done. And so I did. I was very conflicted, as you would imagine. Um, 
and I, I respect my younger self because I was, I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted to follow this path of the soul, but I was also doing it in this um, achievement mentality, right? And so I ended up going to a college closer to home and finishing. And I actually designed my own major because I was like, I don't fit into any box, you know? So I ended up studying sustainability in the food system at Penn State and they gave me a degree for it. And then right after that, I started working in schools with youth that had been um, removed from public schools. It was like the adjudicated youth route. And I, I started to go back to school a second time, pretty like right away for a master's in education. I mean, I think I was, I was out of college maybe a year when I decided to go back, you know? So I had a master's by the time I was 23. Um, and in like the early 2000s, that wasn't I think now kids are just doing that. Like they just keep going to college um, because the reasons. But at that time it was like, I was striving. I was striving to achieve, to be enough, you know, to know enough. Right, right. Yeah. So when you were doing that, obviously taking the intellectual route and, and you know, recognizing there's still something in your soul, but it sounds like you mm. totally compartmentalized your emotions at this point. So was there another dark moment or another reckoning where you're like, whoa, wait a minute, I'm living this way. And this yeah. Is for me. <laughs> yeah. So I did that striving thing for a long time. Um, I got a second master's degree. I had another child, which really was, I mean, it, it wasn't some sick psychological thing. Like I need to replace that first child. It was like, I want to be a mom, you know? And so, um, so I became a mother um, nine years after my daughter was born and I was still like running myself into the ground, like breastfeeding, um, all organic baby food made from scratch. Um, I was sewing, I had like a Etsy sewing business and I was making handbags to sell on the side. I was making baby quilts. I was, I was sewing in every minute that my child was asleep. I was making meals from scratch for the family. Like I was really doing this like home homemaker thing that I had not gotten to do all those years earlier. Um, I got another master's degree online while my child went to, you know, while he slept and napped and I became a principal of the school, you know, so I followed that path in education and took on, like I was a principal of the school, mother of a toddler, had a sewing business on the side, made everything from scratch. My marriage was going downhill. And by the time my child was a toddler, I remember there was this day actually in the woods and I, and I realized it was almost like that clear. It was like, I forgot myself. I forgot who I was. I forget I forgot like who I was before that baby. I forgot what I knew. I forgot how I used to love life. At one point in my like late twenties, I was, I was on meds for high anxiety. So I started to remember myself and that was, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago around there. Let me ask you something though. Yeah. Do you 
think that some of what you were doing was punishing yourself for having gone through, you know, having gotten pregnant and gone against Mm -hmm. what your family is all about and, you know, that kind of thing. Cause a lot of times subconsciously, you know, we do things and we don't even realize that we're doing it. Yeah. And honestly, you're the first, the first person to ask me that question like that. I would say, sure. You know, if, yeah. Like, it was I'm a, this right, you know, like I'm going to do this right now. Okay. I did this wrong. Yeah. Now I'm right. Right. Okay. So I'm going to take myself yeah. and, 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 you know, go down this road until this day where you're in the forest. Right. And you know what? Like I was doing it to myself the whole time. I really was because I, I was thinking like, do my parents approve of me yet? Am I enough yet? Am I good enough yet? And there was one point when I was in my second master's and my dad was like, what are, what are you doing? What are you studying? What are you? And I was like, oh my gosh, he doesn't even know. He doesn't care. Like, this is all my stuff. I couldn't, I would never have said that I was doing it for my dad. But like, when he asked that question, there was this mirror in my face. Like, I care what he thinks still. So no, I'm not doing this all for me. You know, I'm doing it to prove that I can have it together, that I, that I can do it. I can do what they, you know, what nobody thought I could do or what I didn't know I, I could do. Right. So when you yeah. had that moment in the forest, what changed in your life from that point forward? Ooh, beautiful question. Well, I remembered, honestly, I remembered what it was to be alive. And he doesn't know this. He would enjoy listening to this. So my daughter's father, I actually remembered how I felt when I was with him mm-hmm. and that like real aliveness and a love relationship. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, like I haven't felt that way since, you know, like I, I there was so much beauty in my life. Like I married a beautiful man and I had a beautiful child, but like the joy had not come back yet you know? Um, so I actually had married my high school best friend and our marriage, it was a 14 year relationship from the time my daughter was born forward. You study attachment, you can just read into that. (laughs) Right. And so, um, we got, it was like the light went off there too, that, um, oh my gosh, I've been trying to fit this into something that it's not. Um, he is a very sweet, sweet man. And it was like, he had agreed, um, for all of those years to just like support me. He could see what I was doing. He could see how much I was like striving. And he said to me after our divorce, he said, Sarah, I always knew who you were on the inside. I remembered her and I just always trusted that that person would come back. So heartbreaking. So it didn't happen in my marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we ended up divorcing by the time my son was five. My son is nine now. Um, You have a daughter or a son? So my firstborn was a daughter. She's 18. Yeah. That's the open adoption. And then I raised a son who's nine. Gotcha. Yeah. I was a little confused. (laughs) 
Sorry. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. We say families are built in all kinds of ways. It's yeah. like, that's what my son knows. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So anyway, so everything has obviously changed because it doesn't sound like you're doing the career you used to do. Right. Um, so yeah. yeah. So a little bit about how that led to you doing what you do now. Wonderful. So I did carry on a career in education for a while. I actually just left um, in 2018, in the beginning of 2018. Um, I, I became very invested in mindfulness and trauma awareness and education. Um, my interest was always holistic in education. Um, and it got to the point where I was, I was running schools. I was a school administrator. My second master's was in educational leadership. And I always wanted to do more for the whole child than, um, than is typically done. You know, I, I didn't do discipline differently because I always wanted to be like, well, there's something deeper there. You know, let's, let's dive into why they're behaving the way they're behaving. And, um, so my last stop in education was actually to help create a therapeutic school. Um, and it was lovely. It was lovely. But like this embodied breath, which is my business name, it was like knocking on the door. It was like, listen to your life purpose. You're not done yet. You are so just getting started, you know, and I was going to work and like we had created this beautiful thing and there were beautiful children at work. And, and there was this feeling like, I know that I should feel happier than I feel right now. But like, as I was kind of still going through the motions of creating something that was still very, very beautiful, it like wasn't my purpose. It wasn't my, um, it wasn't making me like that deep content that I, that I knew existed. Um, and honestly, embodied breath was, it was like calling me. It was calling me. It was saying, take everything you've done from all of these aspects of your life, like you're saying, the merging, the professional and the personal. And to me, um, this is the intuitive podcast, right? So I started to remember around that time of my divorce, I really started to remember like who I was as a woman and this career in academics and intellect had really repressed any intuition. And I'm really intuitive, but I, I, I didn't have a place for that in that world. And so I always felt as if I had like one foot in one world and one foot in the other, because I actually started to like train my intuition, you know, in those years. And um, yes, embodied breath is the integration of all of it, you know, and then, and then we'll see where it goes from here, but. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so then, you know, one last question about everything and then um, please share, you know, about how people can find you and all that, but mm -hmm. what is your relationship with your daughter at this point? Wonderful. It's, um, it's lovely. She has um, never been mad or rejected. You know, she's very She's very loving. Um, she is now a freshman in college herself. And so we text and I send letters and things like that. I actually reached out to her 
about six months ago. And I said, listen, your story and our story is much a part of what I do in this world. And if you look at what I'm doing or look at my website or look at my blogs, you're going to see me talking about our adoption. And, you know, I want to talk to you about that. I want to know how you feel about that. And I got this response that was so wise, you know, she's all, she's an old soul. And she said, I support this wholeheartedly. And so, um, I look forward to our relationship deepening as she becomes a woman. I trust that that will happen. That was always sort of my intuition about our relationship and we'll see, we'll just see what happens. My son and I are going to visit her in college next weekend. That's exciting. And that's yeah. cool. you've been able to have it work out the way that it has for you and for her. It's been a blessing. It's been a blessing for sure. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say, so um, is there anything that you feel you want to impart to the audience that you haven't covered yet that would help them in some way? Mm, thank you. I think what I wish for everyone is that they listen to the inside voice, that internal nagging, you know, that, that thing that you know is true, that you're putting on hold. Yeah. It's so important that we listen to that because I, I really truly believe that each of us is on a soul journey and we need each person's light in the world. We need it actively shining, you know? Yeah, I do agree. (laughs) You agree. Yeah. It's our work. It's our work. So yeah, that's what I do for a living now. Like I could not stand for another minute to talk about academics. I was like, let's just go to the heart of the person. You know, what would you know to be true? And, and yeah, we foster that. So that's awesome. I love that. Of course. Um, so if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, they go to your website and is there anything Mm -hmm. right now that you have going on that you want to share as far as your business goes? Wonderful. Um, yeah, there's always one-on-one coaching. We didn't even talk about the work that I do with couples. So I do a mindfulness based couples, um, approach that it's just so powerful. And so those are always rolling and, um, some really interesting um, collaborations are coming up on women's voice and really, you know, encouraging us to tell the stories that maybe have been locked away or maybe our original voices as young women were not um, so nourished, you know, as as in this story. And so, yeah, things will be rolling. I think there will be a retreat this summer in Asheville, North Carolina for Women's Voice. And my goal for that retreat is that women come out of that with an unlocked voice in this That's world. Lovely. Yes. Lovely. Yes. I absolutely <laughs> believe in speaking your truth, men and women. It is really worth yes. that. So that sounds yes. great. Thank you. Yeah. So I am really happy that you joined me today. And I'm hoping my audience gets, um, you know, from it where you were and what happened and seeing how you've taken that moment and it impacted your journey, but it's, it's all those points along the way where you've made choices that have brought you to this moment. That's absolutely true. And yeah, you have to go through the difficult stuff to get to the thriving. Can I tell one more tiny little story? Sure. There was, uh, there was a moment 
just after our divorces, when my friend Meredith and I were like sitting on my back porch and we're just in it, you know, we're women and we're just in it and we're talking about it. And, um, you know, I said, Meredith, at some point on this journey, we reached thriving. And she said, yeah, we do. That's what we're going for. So it's possible. You just, you have to keep going. You yeah. absolutely have to, because you do not know what is ahead. The unknown is the unknown for a reason. And that's where we all have to head towards. I strongly believe that. And you can't get there all at once. And you wouldn't want to. Like the journey is beautiful, even when it's hard. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah, I'm so happy you joined me today. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. It's been wonderful. Right. Okay, well, good. Well, hey, you guys, thanks for tuning in. And um, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. If you have any questions at all, you can go ahead and send them to podcast at tracycrossley.com or you can look for Sarah's contact information. I'm assuming it's on her website. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you have any questions, please do send them. And other than that, I will be seeing you guys next time. All right, take care, everybody. Bye-bye.